0: Okay, we're going to jump right in. Today's a special day. Today's Give Love. I'm going to talk about it today. And if you don't know what that is, you will in about a few moments. Uh, but go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to get started. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Flip to Philippians chapter 1. It's going to be in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, while you're flipping there. Uh, recently, like fairly recently, I'm talking within weeks, uh, I'm at a local coffee shop here in Temecula, okay? And I am getting some work done. You know, I got my laptop out. I'm like, I am... Uh, kind of doing some certain, like preliminary sermon prep. I'm responding to some emails, getting some administration kind of done. Uh, one of the things about our church is we are a church plant, obviously, and, uh, our church staff is Herrick and I, uh, which means, uh, well, if you don't know Herrick and I, we are, we love the church, like we want you to know we love you, but we are administratively challenged. So I'm at the coffee shop trying to get some admin stuff done. It's not a strength of mine, but I'm working at it, you know? And I'm sitting there and, I see someone out of the corner of my eye, and they make eye contact with me. And you know when you're in public, and you're like, I know this person, and they're making eye contact with you, and you know that they know that they know you? Do you know what I'm talking about? And the decision, you have this decision to make. Are we going to acknowledge that we know each other, right? So that's typical, I feel like. But this person immediately runs up to me. So I'm like, OK, cool. We don't have to like be silly and be stupid and pretend like we don't know each other. So this person um, comes out to me, and, and, and the closer they get, I'm like, okay, I know who this is. And I get excited because it's someone that I genuinely care about. <laughs> Sounds mean, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> so this person comes out to me, and uh, it was an old worship intern I had from like a decade ago. So I, my background in ministry was leading worship. And so this person comes up to me. I hadn't seen them in years. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's so good to see you. They're like married now. They're, they're, they've grown so much. They're, they're, they're still involved in worship ministry and stuff. And, and so he's talking to me and we're catching up and we're like you know sharing about old times. And then, and then he kind of like stops me. And he makes eye contact with me. And he's like, dude, I just want to take a second, like... Like, thank you. He goes, you like invested in me? He goes, you taught me so much. You taught me everything I know about leading worship. He's like, you taught me all about gear. Talking taught me all about like tone. Like we talk about like musicians, we have this like sickness when it comes to gear and essentially it's tools, but like the amp that you play, the pedals that you use, the guitar, like all that stuff, right? He's like, you taught me everything about tone that I know, everything that I know about gear, all this different things, like song selection, the whole thing. And he's kind of like, he's serious. He's really, tra- he's being, he's honoring me. It's a really cool thing. And he's like, he goes, like, you taught me how to lead worship. You taught me everything I know. And he, and he said something. He says, he goes, thank you so much for discipling me. And you really tried to honor me, you know? I left that meeting with him, like that encounter with him, so discouraged. Not because he tried to like honor me and thank me, but because he didn't mention Jesus one time. Thank you for discipling me. Thank you for teaching me about tone and about gear and about leading worship. And he didn't mention Jesus one time. I just like went to my car. I was like, God, like, thank you for your grace that covers me as an imperfect leader and an imperfect pastor. But the truth is, like, the reality is I failed that young man. I encouraged him and I, and I practically taught him that's cool. Like, the example that I set for him, it may have been good musically, but it was poor where it really mattered. It was poor spiritually. Are you with me? Here's the thing guys, all of us, we look to people, we look to things sometimes to be examples for us and the examples that we look to and more importantly, the examples that we actually follow, hear me say this, they have a huge influence on the disciple that we become. It's a really, really big deal. Why do I share that? Today, like I said, today's our Give Love Sunday. We're gonna talk about what that is, why we do it and how what we do, it's not something new. This idea of like what we're going to do with Give Love, it's not something new. It's not like groundbreaking because what we're doing is we are following an example. We're following an example set for us by very, some of the very first Christians ever. I had you flip to the, to the book of uh, Philippians, right? Hopefully, actually, not hopefully, certainly, they're not like younger me. Hopefully, these Christians, not hopefully, certainly, these Christians in the Philippian church in the first century, they're not the kind of example that I was to this young guy. They're actually a really, really good example that we can look to. Okay, so hopefully by now you are in Philippians chapter one. I'm going to pray for us before we jump in. But as before we go into this, I want you to be thinking through the lens of the way with which Paul is speaking about these people. It's not a myth. It's not like legend. It's real. It's a real letter. We're going to get into this. Let me pray. Um. God, thank you for your grace this morning. Um, Thank you that I can talk this morning. (laughs) Um, I pray, Holy Spirit, uh, and I ask you to point us to Jesus. I ask you to make us aware of your grace in our life. I pray that that you, I ask you to like minimize distractions, whether or not things are distracting either around us or in us. I pray that they wouldn't have any influence over us, that we'd be able to clearly kind of zero in on you and your word, and that we'd be inspired and encouraged and challenged and comforted. thank you, God, that you're with us right now. Like, you are present with us. Make us aware of what's true. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna cough quick, so I'm gonna turn off my mic. Okay, Philippians chapter one, we're going to start in verse one, okay? Here we go. Paul and Timothy, so two people, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints, saints is just Christians, okay? To all the saints, all the Christians in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Okay, really quickly, I know many of you guys know this, but I want us to kind of insert ourselves into this. This is a letter, This is a letter that Paul, the apostle, the church planter, the missionary, he's writing. He's writing this to other Christians in the city of Philippi, and he's writing this letter from prison. Okay, he's in prison while he's writing this letter. And here's the cool thing about the church in Philippi. The cool thing, the unique thing about the church in Philippi is it was the very first church that Paul planted in Europe. So think, I mean, massive continent, these are like the, these are the trailblazer Christians in Europe, okay? Now, um, Philippi was in the region of Macedonia, which would be like modern-day Greece, okay? Like I mentioned before, this is not a folktale. This is history. This is real. You could go to the, city, <laughs> to the city of Philippi right now if you wanted to. It's in ruins, but it's there, okay? It's a real place, real people. Um, and one of the cool things about the church, the Christians, when I say church, I don't mean building, I mean, the people of God, okay, the family of God in a city, Philippi. Um, one of the cool things about this church, the Philippian church, is that it kind of reminds me a bit of our church. And it reminds me of our church in this regard. Uh, the Philippian church, it had this wonderfully strong presence um, of women leading the way in ministry in a really cool way. In fact, uh, the church, the very first convert in Philippi was this woman, Lydia. So she's this like, she's this epic businesswoman. So she's, a, she's like influential. She's, um, she's relatively wealthy. She, uh, Paul preaches the gospel. This woman, Lydia, gets saved. Then her whole household gets saved. And then they start meeting and gathering in her home. And that's the birth. That's the church plant of the Philippian church. Are you with me? Really cool, really cool thing. So these Philippian Christians, this Philippian church, these people, as the the church grows, as the gospel spreads among this community in this city, these people, they are big supporters of Paul and his team. Remember, Paul comes in, preaches the gospel, people get saved, a church gets planted, uh, disciples are made. It's a beautiful picture of God bringing his kingdom in people and then through people okay? So this happens, and these these Christians, they're big supporters of Paul and his team, and especially in Paul and his team's church planning efforts, because they've been recipients of that, right? So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pick up again in verse two. I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to how affectionate Paul's writing is to these people, all right? This isn't like a—yeah, we'll see. Let's go. Verse two. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ— I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. That's strong language. Verse four, always praying with joy for all of you in, in my every prayer. That's wild. Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners. There's that word again, partners, with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse eight, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. He's referring to their sanctification, their growth in Jesus. Verse 11, filled with the, f- with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay. Paul really loves these people. He, he, he cares for them deeply. He actually knows them. He actually knows them. So this letter, I don't know if you noticed it, this letter, it starts out as basically like a thank you letter. A thank you letter for their support and their partnership in the gospel. So these are people that he knows and loves. He's writing back to them saying, thank you so much for your partnership, for your support and in, 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 in preaching the gospel and planting churches and extending the mission in the kingdom of God. Um, and he keeps using this word partnership consider for just a second, think of some of the most famous partnerships like in pop culture or in society. I was thinking about this week and I'm like, okay, the first thing that came to my mind, and maybe I'm just a music geek, is like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Like partners, man. Like they were radically gifted as individuals and then they come together to accomplish something that is greater than they would have accomplished independently of each other. Does that make sense? They're better together. That's the idea of partnership, okay? The next thing I thought of with Shaq and Kobe. Okay, Shaq and Kobe, yes, come on. Dorian, where you at, bro? Are you kids? There we are, come on. Give me some love. Um, <clears throat> Shaq and Kobe, like really gifted, talented basketball players in their own right. You team them up, you partner them together. Dude, that's unstoppable. They're better together. They're, they're, they're partnering together to accomplish things that they cannot do on their own. Partnership. We're, we're better together. Um, let's make it personal. Think about your life. Think about the partnerships that you engage in in your life. You have some. Okay, if if you're, uh, how many parents in the room? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of us. If you have children and your children, if if you're not homeschooling your kids, your kids are in a public or a private or a charter school, right? So you're, you're partnering with a school and it's faculty, it's teachers. You're partnering with these people in the education of your child, right? You're partnering with them in the education of your child, in in your child's development, okay? You could, for those of you, the kids aren't in public school, you're you're in private school, public school, whatever, charter school, you could teach them algebra. You could teach them biology. You could teach them world history, all those things. But listen, but there can be educational benefits in partnering with a school, a teacher, a tutor on behalf of your child's education. Are you with me? This idea of partnership, better together. Um, I think it's important to talk about this really quickly. This is kind of like going off tangent for a second. When it comes to schooling, people ask, I hear people talk about it. People ask all the time, hey, like I really want my kids to follow Jesus. Um, is, is, is homeschooling the right option? Is public school the right thing? Is, is, is private school? like what? As a Christian, what should we do? Um, and I just want to be very clear on this because I think there's a lot of opinions out there, but I'm going to be very strong and opinionated with mine. Is that okay? It depends on the child. Every child's unique. Every circumstance is unique. There's not just one way. There's pros and cons with all three. And I think, I think we would be unwise to not pursue in God in prayer and go, what's the best thing for this child in this season of their life in this place? Does this make sense? So I don't want, I I would hate for us to be a community where it's like, this is the only thing that's right for kids. Well, sometimes. Every kid's unique. um, Every situation is unique. And hear me say this. We want to be a community. We want to be parents, like households, a collection of households, essentially, where we leverage everything we got, everything we can to see our children know, love, and follow Jesus. Sometimes that looks like public school. Sometimes that looks like private school. Sometimes that looks like homeschool. You with me? Cool, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because there's a lot of questions around that. Okay, partnerships, partnerships, partnerships um, in your life. How many of you guys uh, belong to a gospel community? Hands high. Many of us, most of us, great, great. It's the lifeblood of our church. Okay, um, think about this. You guys gather together uh, at least once a week, but you're, you're kind of primary gathering midweek. Uh, you guys eat together. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major rhythm of what we do as gospel communities, so what you're doing when you come together for that meal is you're typically partnering together to put that meal on, aren't you not? Putting together that meal. Every person providing an element of the meal. You have, somebody's bringing a main dish. Someone, a handful of people are bringing side dishes, uh, desserts and beverages and all those things, right? You're partnering together on the meal and guess what it does? It makes it better for everyone else. Um, and Let me just say this and brag for just a second. I have... Uh, typically what I do is i 'll take an intro to gospel community we 'll spend a season together, and then they 'll typically either go on to be um, a gospel community or they 'll get um, kind of grafted into existing gospel communities and I think it 's been five now at this point, four or five that i 've been had the privilege of being a part of. You guys slay it in your meal every single week okay there 's been seasons when I, we were church planning in San Diego with like in urban areas with typically uh, Less established um, individuals, and you'd come and your meal, and you're like, I'm hungry. We're gonna sit down and have a meal, and there's a table, and it's got like Krispy Kreme donuts, like a two liter bottle of of off brand soda, and like napkins, and you're like, that's that's what's for dinner. So I just want to affirm you and praise God for the ways that you guys. The ways that you guys partner each week in putting on a meal together, okay? I know it's a silly example, but um, what other partnerships do we have in our lives? Uh, the, another one that jumps out to me is my wife, Ebony, and I. We partner together to parent our kids, okay? It's not just a her thing. It's not just a me thing. We partner together um, to parent our kids because we are better together. Um, many of you guys uh, you know me relatively well. If I did not have Ebony in this partnership, Our children, they probably wouldn't be alive. Um, They'd be like playing on the freeway somewhere and I'd be like chasing after them. Like, no, don't do it. Like, it would just be chaos. I'm grateful for my partnership with my wife because parenting is hard. Um, We talk about this intentional parenting conference. I cannot encourage you enough. Even if you're in a season where you're killing it as a parent, this will be helpful, okay? Parenting is hard because we're parenting to raise our kids to know, love, and follow Jesus. Like, it's a big deal. That's my primary objective as, as Amelia and Vivian's daddy. It's not just that they would be socially kind of integrated into society and know how to function those ways, although that's really important. My primary job, my primary assignment as their father is that they would know Jesus and how much he loves Him, loves them, that they would, they would grow in love for him back and that they would follow him. They would be like him. They would imitate him. They would walk in step with him. Not out of obligation or duty, but because they know how deeply loved they are by him. Are you with me? Um, I mean, obviously I want them to grow in other areas as well, but that's the, that's the primary thing. Um, it's funny, parenting, right? So this week we had parent-teacher conferences um, for both the girls. And... You, you don't really know what to expect with those. That's why they're terrifying. Uh, a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, many of you guys are, are teachers and stuff so you guys have to actually be the ones that are on the other side of the desk that are delivering the difficult information to parents who don't know how their children behave when they're not in their presence and it's just this awkward like, but because you're not with your kid, you don't know. You're like, okay, like I, I feel like we've been making some, you know, some headway with them and like they're, they're getting more socially adjusted and they're being more respectful and more honoring and, and they're being more obedient and that kind of thing. But, I'm not with them during the day, so I don't know. So I'm a little like apprehensive. I'm going into this parent teacher conference, especially the one with uh, Vivian, and I'm like, okay, I don't know. I this could go great, or this could spectacularly go up in flames. And I'm just kind of prepping my heart. You know, I'm going to go be, sit down with this teacher. Um, wonderful teacher. She's in uh, Vivian's in kindergarten, and so come into the classroom, sit down, and. And it's cool. She just kind of brings out this piece of paper, and she's going kind of line by line through. Here's where she's at with this. Here's where she's at with that. And she's giving us a very clear breakdown of how Vivian's doing academically, how she's doing socially, um, all that kind of stuff, right? (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And it was great. I'm, like, looking through this page, page, and I'm like, Vivian's doing great. Like, she's developing. She's doing well. And then the teacher says, "Uh, but before you guys go, like, there's just one more thing. And I'm like, oh boy. And then she starts to tell us about this um, this thing that had happened, where she was explaining to the children uh, what the consequences would be for inappropriate behavior. And the way that she does it in her classroom is she has like several colors with clips, and like depending on how your behavior is that day, you you know you do the clip down or you do the clip up. Or you guys know what I'm talking about with this, right? And she's kind of going through, like, uh, what the positive ones are, and then she starts to get to the negative ones, and she's like, okay, and she explains to the kids what a referral is, you know, and she says, okay, and if if it gets bad enough, like, you'll be sent to the office, and they're like, oh, and these are kindergartners, they have no concept of school, they're just freaked out, like, oh my god, the office, there's, like, gonna be chains, and there's gonna be, like, a guillotine, it's gonna be terrible, so they're they're terrified, it's beautiful. Um... (laughs) They're terrified, and then she gets to the bottom rung of like the, I think it's like red, like if you put your clip on red, man. So she gets to the bottom rung, and she goes, and that, boys and girls, is a phone call home. And she's describing how the kids are like, oh my God, like you're going to call our parents? Like you even, you even have their phone number? Like this is, wh-. and so there's this fear in the room, you know, like just clear, like, oh my gosh, like they could call our parents. And then she described to me in Ebony how Vivian spoke up in that moment over all, everything. And she just goes, but Jesus will forgive our bad choices every time, right, teacher? And I don't know, yes, yes, yes! My partnership with my wife and parenting is working. It's like, we're not doing the best, like we're doing the best we can and it's not perfect, but like it's working, you know? Jesus will forgive our bad choices, right, teacher? I don't know how she responded to that, but I don't care. I'm like, yes, yes, he will. Grace, baby. Paul. Paul and his ministry team, they love the church in Philippi. They deeply love the church in Philippi, and they're supremely grateful for their partnership. Their partnership in prayer I mean, they are praying for Paul and his efforts and his team's efforts. Paul's grateful for the ways that they're funding that mission. They're funding that practically with money and other things. Uh, They're partnering and spreading the gospel and getting the word out about Jesus. Not about what you should do and shouldn't do, but about the love of God that will transform you into the likeness of him. And especially they're grateful for their partnership in planting new churches. Um, every October, without fail, every single October, we do this thing called give love. It, it, it's an important thing to us as a church. And what we do is we take a special offering. Okay, this is, this is not like, um, hey, we need to buy another TV for this side of the stage, although there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's, it's not for us. Uh, we, we take a special offering above and beyond our normal tithes, So it's not like, okay, hey, we're just gonna take this part of the budget and send it here. No, above and beyond our operating costs as a church, above and beyond what we would typically give in response and worship to God because he asks us to and in investing in the kingdom here in Temecula, above and beyond that, we take the special offering and we give it all away outside of the four walls of this church because we wanna partner with what God is doing outside of our local church because like Herrick was talking about earlier, guys, we are part of a global, multi-generational story that goes back 2,000 years, it is glorious. It is amazing. It is God through his people re- um, redeeming things and transforming things and it starts with the hearts and the minds of people. Okay? We want to partner with what God's doing outside of this local church. So, our Give Love offering this year, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's about partnering with a church called Anthem Church in Denver, Colorado. We want to partner with them. We want to partner with them in helping to bring the gospel to the city of Denver. Um, has anybody been to Denver recently? Like, it is transforming a ton every year. Um, <clears throat> how am I doing on time? Okay. So the thing about Denver is it's like the only urban center in that part of the country within like <clears throat> several hundred miles. So if, some, if, if someone is progressive, if someone is... Um, desires to live in a big city, they're going more than likely going to flock to Denver. And you're seeing the population of Denver increase tremendously. Denver needs a lot more churches yesterday. Okay? And not only that, but it genuinely is a difficult place to plant churches because it's probably one of the most post-Christian cities in our country. By post-Christian, I mean like they've kind of moved on from Christianity. It's, it's like the, Jesus is like the equivalent of the tooth fairy. Like, you believe in that? Like, that's... What about evolution? What about this? What about that? Like, <clears throat> So Denver, is a, it's a tough, tough place. Um, and Josh and Courtney Lewis are the couple who have planted this church, Anthem Denver, and I know them. Eric, we know them. We love them. Uh, typically what we do with Give Love every year is we'll, it's happened more, more years than not, is we'll, we'll, we'll take this offering to fund one of the restored family of churches planting a restored church. Um, <laughs> Anthem Denver isn't part of our family of churches, but they're about as close as you're going to get relationally with us. They're like a cousin church. Um, In fact, Anthem Denver, Josh and Courtney, they did their church planning residency up in Anthem Thousand Oaks, which is kind of like the the mothership of of that church planning movement. Um, That's the same church planning residency that Andy did, Andy Rogers did for the very first Restored Church. Does that make sense? So Josh and Courtney have that same kind of part of their story. In addition to that, um, Josh and Courtney spent eight months with Restored Church Uptown learning more about like urban city center, or, yes, center city uh, church planning. Like how do you make disciples in an urban context is very different than how we make disciples here in Temecula. Very different. Same objective they, look, they, they ought to look similar, act similar, have the same values in their life, live, this, live out of the same culture, that kind of thing. But how that happens is very different because the people are very different. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so I just want to kind of give you that background. These aren't random people. This isn't like, hey, we, we do give love every year and we don't have a restored church to plant, so we got to find some initiative to latch onto. No, this is a genuine need of people that we know and love deeply um, that, that, that we can come alongside them and partner. I know many of you guys, how are we doing? Okay, I know many of you guys have already seen the video I'm about to play, but I want to put it in front of you again because I know many of you have not. Just kind of a short introduction to Josh and Courtney, the work that they're doing, that even in a short time, they, they, they launched last month, okay? Even in a short time, God's been very, very kind, and he's been doing some spectacular things. Can you guys play that video for them really quick? It's like three or four minutes, and then I'll keep going. Okay, so I wanted to put that in front of you because I want to put, not, I want to put faces on names. This isn't just random people. Um, them and their team have genuinely sacrificed so much to see this church plan happen, and it's beautiful because God's saving and developing and making disciples. It's beautiful. <clears throat> so as we're praying through this, uh, we started to become aware of some of the needs that they had, Um, some of the significant needs. One of the things is uh, they had kind of a a certain amount of uh, fundraising that was pledged that was a a large, large chunk of their operating costs that just went away like that. So that's kind of like, oh crap, there's a huge void here. How can we rally? That being said, um, our restored family of churches were coming together this year for Give Love, and the goal is to raise $25,000 for them. The truth is they need much more than that, um, and I'm confident we can do that. I thought we did like 140 last year, or something crazy for Kyle and Kaya in Northern Africa. Um, but either way, I want to put that in front of you. The goal: 25,000 people. And hear me say this: This is not about um, growing a brand. This is not about. Um, this is not about anything besides the glory of Jesus and His kingdom coming in the lives of people. Men and women, boys and girls, who have eternal value because they're made in the image of God. <clears throat> um, and here's the thing, too, guys. Like church plants, this is a this is a different thing. This is a church plant. If you didn't know, we're like a year and a half in. We're infants. Um, church planning is really hard. One of the things that makes church planning really hard is that it. 99.9% of the time is it takes external funding to get something going because there's not like a base, there's not, there's not a lot of people. There's not like, um, uh, there's, there's not enough internal giving to fund the mission locally. You with me? So it makes it really, really hard, really, really complex. How's this going to happen? But you need to know that's the way that every church plant gets started. The external funding, external empowering to see something happen. That's the way that every restored church has functioned with external generosity coming in to get something going. That includes us. That includes us. This church, you gotta hear me say this. I see some new faces, so glad that you're here. If you've been journeying with us for any length of time, this church exists because of the generosity of other Christians, some of which you've never met. And not just like, here's the $20 bill in my pocket, although that's beautiful, that's awesome, that's wonderful, I'm not trying to say uh, that that's bad, but like people radically giving above and beyond their means to do it. Other, Other Christians, other local churches who gave sacrificially to partner with us to see disciples made here in Temecula, okay? So if you are following Jesus more closely because of this church plant, it's due in large part to the generosity of other Christians. You got to know that. Some of which you've never known. You've never met them. Okay? So, big question why does all of this matter? Like, I hear you, Tom, you're clearly passionate about this, but you're a church planner, like, uh, whatever. You should be passionate about it. Why does all this matter so much? Have you guys ever heard of Rosie the Riveter? Raise your hand if you know what that is so I can get a pulse. Okay? Every dude is like not raising their hand. Okay, Rosie the Riveter. Thank you, gentlemen. Rosie the Riveter, that classic. That cla- I wish I could have got a picture. Sorry, guys. Um, that classic um, kind of 19s, 1940s woman with like the bandana and the factory clothes and like f- and flexing. You know that, that's Rosie the Riveter. Um, quick, quick uh, American history for you, really, really fast. Okay, quick American history. Nineteen forty one. Right. Take. Follow me back to nineteen forty uh, one. Nineteen forty one you have America, right, the United States of America, and they enter into World War II. You remember this? And that was two years after the war, uh, after the war started. Okay, so they're, they're two years behind, but they, they tried to avoid it, and America's like, no, we're not going to, and then do you remember what happened that catalyzed America to go, to go into Pearl Harbor? Absolutely. Attack on Pearl Harbor, you know, the, the, the military base in Hawaii gets bombed, so America's like, okay, we're in this thing. We're in World War II. Now, here's the thing. Before the war, before the war, men typically, actually almost exclusively, men went to work outside the home while women stayed inside the home. This is a time in American history in the 40s, right, where the vast majority of American women did not work outside the home. <clears throat> but wartime changes everything. Wartime changes everything. So you have, you have this scenario where where a lot of the men who occupied the workforce are now overseas fighting on the front lines, fighting in this war, and you have this huge void in the workforce. Are you with me? Huge void in the workforce, right? And there's not enough workers now to make all the supplies they need, the military supplies to fund and, and take care of the supplies that we need for the war. There's this huge void, okay? So what happens? The ladies, which is typical of women, step in and go, we'll take care of this. Okay, so the American women step in and they enter the workforce, a place that they weren't invited into prior to this, and I have to say that, okay? They enter into the workforce, okay? Now, women, at this point in time, they were not allowed to go fight on the front lines. They were not allowed to go fight on the front lines, but you know what they could do? They could partner on the home front, They could partner on the home front by working in factories, by filling this this void in the workforce, by by making the planes, you know, by building the bombs and the submarines and all these things. Here's why this is important. Rosie the River is kind of the the, the poster child of that, right? Um, Here's why this is important. Without that partnership, men away fighting on the front lines, women holding it down on the home front. Without that partnership, the al- America and its allies would have certainly lost the war. Every historian, uh, every military historian is like absolutely, without a doubt, would have lost the war, okay? You would be speaking German right now. Or Japanese, absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> Here's why I share that with you. You and I, whether we like to admit it or not, you and I are living in wartime. This is not peacetime This is wartime. And and the war that you and I live in right now is way more dangerous than World War II. As awful as World War II was, this war has way higher stakes because it's a war for the eternal souls of every man, woman, and child. Um, Temecula is a beautiful place. This valley, it's a beautiful place. But it's really dark. It's really dark. What do I mean by by that? The enemy has taken a lot of ground here. He's taken a lot of ground here. You have people that are giving their lives over to consumerism, consuming more and more. They're giving their lives over to greed, just give me some more, I just need more, I need a better vacation, I need a bigger house, I need a nicer car, nicer clothes. They're living their way instead of God's way. There's a huge temptation to live that way here. You oftentimes don't really see that in the same way or at the same volume in the inner city because there's a lot more poverty And how do we know this is happening? Because you can look around, people struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety, fear, hiding, wearing masks. I don't want to be known. Okay, there's a difference between someone courageously going, I'm struggling in life. I need help. Here it is. Here's who I am. I'm being vulnerable. But oftentimes, what you see, especially, and I'm not, I love this place. I moved here. To, I love this city. I love this valley. I love this region. But oftentimes, you see people that are struggling and they put the mask on. How are how you doing? Great. I just cussed out my kids in the car and yelled at my husband or my wife, and I'm great. <clears throat> There's this like mask. Uh, how are you doing? Internally, I'm super scared. I'm freaked out. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? To make it was beautiful, but it really is a dark place. Like it's not as, I think, I, I love that there's certain things about this that, like, that make it uh, helpful to raise children here and all that kind of stuff. It's a suburb and there's benefits, don't get me wrong. But I, just in conversations I've had with people is it's not as safe as a lot of people think. Yes, we don't, have the same, like, we don't have the same issues with gangs as we see in the inner city. Absolutely, that's true. But there's like a materialism and a pride here that is like off the charts. Like, quick question, who did Jesus embrace more? The Pharisee or the prostitute? Yeah. You might see, you know, really deep, dark things happen in other places where it's like, oh, that's crazy. But who did Jesus want to spend more time with? Who did he he embrace more? The religious, the pride-filled? No. This is a, dark place. This is a dark place. People are being defeated by Satan here and they have no idea because it's comfortable. It's not safe. And to make it easy because it's got a ton of families which is awesome. Tons of families and what does that mean? It means it's got a lot of kids. A lot of kids who are in an environment and in that environment they will be discipled. They will be formed. The question isn't, are they going to be discipled? Are they going to be formed? The question is, are they going to be formed? Are they going to be discipled in the way of the world or in the way of the kingdom of heaven? That's the question. Why do I say this? That's why I moved here. That's why me and my family gave up everything that we had and came here. Because I want to see men, women, and child not be defeated by the enemy because it's war. It's war. Doesn't mean there's hope lost. I don't say that to be like, be afraid. It's really bad here. I say that to go, like, let's not be ignorant. Let's not be surprised when the bombs get dropped and there's casualties. Let's be men and women who are understand that we are in wartime. And it's important. And there are, there are consequences. There's an outcome of this. There's a war going on for every single soul. Okay? And this church was planted here in Temecula to fight the war, the battle here, cuz there's a unique battle here. The battle we're fighting here is different than the battle that's that's being fought in Denver. Same enemy, but different front. You with me? Okay. And again, this church is planning other Christian Christians stepping in to partner with us in the fight. In the beginning, they're like, "Hey, you know what? We can't move there. Like we can't move to Temecula. We can't we can't fight on the front lines." But we can send supplies. We can send prayer. We can send money. We can send whatever we have that you need to fight that. To fight. Guys, that's our story. That's this church's story. It's a story of partnership. Of partnership. And listen to me, it's every single church's story for the past 2,000 years. That's what we're doing with Give Love. We're partnering with Anthem Denver. Okay, I'll call the band up. I'll close with this. What time we got? Oh, we're great. Wonderful. Okay, you guys still with me? We okay? No? Yes? Great. Four people are with me. The rest of you guys, you can sleep if you want to. Um, Okay, so I'm almost done. Uh, I just need you to see one more thing, okay? We started out this morning. We read how Paul started that letter to the Philippian church, right? Love you. Thank you for your partnership. I'm grateful. Let's see how he ends it. Okay, I want you to see how he ends it. Flip over to chapter 4, the end of Philippians, chapter 4, uh, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to read this. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, okay, that's the region that Philippi's in. So it's kind of like, that's the it re- goes in the region of southwest Riverside County, right? <coughs> so, when I left Macedonia, when I left basically where you were at, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not just once, several times. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. He wants them to develop generosity. Verse 18 but I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus, really quick, Epaphroditus, he was a member of the Philippian church. So he's a member of that church and he's the guy who delivered the money to Paul and his his team. So he's basically telling them, hey, I have received everything from Epaphroditus who may have sent what you provided. Listen to this. A fragrant offering, what they provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. One more thing and I'll get out of here. Paul describes their giving, their partnership in giving. He describes their giving as an offering to God. Did you catch that? So in other words, their giving was to Paul and his team, right? But it was for God. Their giving was to Paul and his team, but it was for God. He says that their partnership in the war effort, in the mission, is ultimately for who? Okay? For God. for God. Yes, absolutely. For God. So, here's my question. How is giving to other soldiers for God? How is giving to other soldiers for God? Um, I don't have time to just tr- I don't have time to break out all the passages, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, another letter to another church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it tells us That this Philippian church that we've just read about all morning, this Philippian church was really, really poor. Like Paul uses, quoting him, he says that they were in extreme poverty. Yet they gave towards the mission of God, it says, beyond their means. That means it was sacrificial. And do you know what sacrificial means? It means I'm giving up something so I can give this. It's not like I have an extra, here you go. It means I'm, it means I'm not drinking Starbucks or coffee this month because I don't have the money for that because I gave it away. You understand what I'm getting out here? Okay. And it says that they didn't just do this one time. These, these Christians in extreme poverty didn't just give above and beyond their means one time. Over and over and over and over again they did. I like to think maybe they did it every October. So, why? Why would a group of people who had so little willingly sacrifice so much so often? Why? Paul tells us Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God that's Jesus, who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says it again in another way in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, therefore be what? What does it say? Be imitators of who? Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. And listen to what it says. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Sacrificial and fragrant offering, that should sound familiar because we just read it in Philippians. Friends, Paul's motivation is is the same thing that motivated this church in Philippi. It's the exact same thing. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the motivation. They were recipients of the great, of the most generous offering ever. That's the blood of Jesus. And now they're imitating the God who gave himself to them by giving to others. Why? So that other people could experience that. Friends, we're partnering with, with Anthem Denver in the war effort And listen to me, hear me say this, okay? We gladly, joyfully sacrifice for the mission of God because it was God's mission of sacrificing himself for us that won the war for our souls. Are you with me? It's a big deal. So now, like generations of Christians before us, we follow in the footsteps of our Savior. We be imitators of God who gave himself for us. That never gets old, man. We give so that other people might experience what we've received. Will you stand with me if you're able? Here's what we're gonna do. Okay? take a few minutes we're going to take a few minutes and we're just going to kind of like seek the Lord as a family of, uh, as a family in this room if you're visiting with us please don't feel any pressure to engage with what we're doing right now maybe you can just pray for the effort that's happening in Denver um, but if, if this is your church family um, if this is your home or if you're a church in this valley or if you're a Christian I should say in this valley I want to invite you into this moment we're going to take just a moment we're going to pray seek God, we're going to listen for just a few minutes we're going to pray and ask God, here's what I want you to do I want you to pray and ask God what would you have me contribute this isn't going to our church's bank account, every cent is, is literally this afternoon getting sent over there so we're going to take just a moment, the band's going to kind of sing over us um, actually, I know I, I should just stand um, I'm kind of in the uh, that's usually what I'll do sorry, sit down again please Get comfortable. Um, uh, Okay, stand up again. Okay. Um, I really just want to invite you into two things. One, taking a moment to receive the generosity of Jesus in your life. His kindness, his grace, his faithful love that isn't dependent on your performance. He stubbornly loves you. Like, I want to invite you to that, receiving that and then asking God, in light of that, God, what would you have me to contribute to this effort? What would you have me to contribute to this effort? And then as a church family, um, we're gonna actually worship Jesus together by giving. So we're not gonna give right away. I wanna give you a moment to kind of think on this, pray on this, um, and then, Herrick's gonna come up and kind of facilitate. We'll pass baskets and do those kinds of things. A couple just kind of housekeeping things that are important. Um, How? Uh, The easiest way is probably on the church app. Um, on the front page there, you'll see a Give Love kind of graphic. You can click that and it'll take you directly to the link of where you can set all that up. You can also do it on the church website. Just make sure that if you're giving online, whether it's the app or the website or whatever, um, that you select the Give Love Fund for Anthem Denver, okay? That way we know it's earmarked for that. Um, and then, like I said, in a couple of moments, we'll pass the baskets. If, you, if, you're, if you'd like to give by check, Um, Again, just one more housekeeping. If you could, uh, let us know what check is for your typical tithe and offering and what check is for Anthem, Denver. That way we can allot it properly. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me just pray for you quickly and then we're gonna take a moment and then Herrick will be back up, okay? Um, Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that you'd pour the love of Jesus out into all of our hearts right now. I think about the lengths that you went to to save me, to redeem me, to rescue me. And it makes me grateful. So I pray um, that this moment wouldn't be something that's just kind of like, okay, I've been in these situations before and like, yeah, I'll give a little bit, whatever. Like, I pray that we wouldn't separate our hands and our heart right now. That this would actually be an act of worship where we get to enjoy you and in light of your glory and your goodness and your kindness and your provision and your generosity, Jesus, that we would be people who delightfully and joyfully get to experience um, the joys of being generous because we've been recipients of generosity. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now and I pray that this really would be for every single person that participates, that this really would be a, a sacrificial and a fragrant offering to you and you alone. Would you speak to us now, Holy Spirit?